The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. I'm Shelley Graff and I'm the Associate Director here. It's good to be here on a Sunday morning with you all. Um, I often lead a variety of programs when Mark is gone on retreat as he is now, or leading a retreat. I was reflecting on what I might say or what I might talk about today. I kept coming back to, you know, it's like, life is so hard. (laughs) 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 It's really hard to be a human being. Life is challenging. And I would like think about, oh yeah, how does that relate to right view or right effort or taking refuge? These things have been up for me. And I would go like, oh, God, but life is so hard. <laughs> and so it feels good to just start with that. Like it's, it's uh, challenging being a human being in this world for anybody. It's up a little bit, getting a little bit of feedback. And so this practice, this path that we're on, this practice is really one of learning how to be with the sensitivity in the heart. As the heart, as we learn to be intimate, as we learn to be in our lives, learn to connect with all kinds of experiences, both internal and external experiences, connecting with the movement of the heart, the emotions that are here, the mind states that come and go, the sensitivity in the body, and also see what it's like to be messy human beings in the world as the world is a place that feels hard to live in a lot of the time. People aren't really nice to each other quite a bit. There are these influences of superiority and supremacy that walk their walk, have their say. So what do we do with all of that? What is it? What can we do with all of that? As I was sitting in with that meditation that we were doing together, I was just feeling like the, you know, feeling just kind of whatever it was that was there before the talk and then come, or before the program began and then coming in and just really inviting those words to land in my heart, the chant, the loving kindness, that that kindness, that care, that love, the patience, that's those words really point to just inviting that to be here, not forcing it to be here, but just inviting that resonance in the heart. And then starting the meditation, it was like, oh, the heart was so tender. And then this idea went through the minds like, oh, the practice will have its say, right? Like things are always shifting, and we maybe don't have to figure out all the right steps, but if we can stay on the path in some way, find some way just to stay on the path, keep learning, keep inviting the heart to be sensitive, keep that invitation to be an awake human being in the world, even when it feels messy, even when the world feels like a mean place, even when we feel like mean people, then there will be some good that comes from that 
And often that good is like not something we can imagine. Because all the the limited strategies and I have in my head for how to engage in this world and this life and this as a human being are just like, you know, there's just like a finite number of them. Five, six, seven. But in moments, the practice will have its say. Like, oh, there will be fruit. Something beautiful might show up that's hard to imagine. That might be supportive. So it wasn't that there was a Shelly sitting here that was like, okay, I need to solve the problem of how to have, how to be a human being in this world or figure figure out what it means to have you know be in a difficult position or be in some difficulty just kind of grokking it's difficult being a human being in all the ways that it's difficult it's not like there was a Shelly who needed to solve that problem or a Shelly that knew that applying some metta would be the the way to solve the problem it was just like some faith that is developing in the heart around just take the right next step, sweetie, and see what happens. Just trust in the space of sensitivity that there will be some fruit and some good that is useful, even if it's hard, right? Even if it's hard, because it wasn't like after the words landed and the heart felt sensitive and tender that it felt pleasant. (laughs) There was some movement of emotion, like some real connecting with how it is to be an emotional and sensitive human being with complicated experiences day in and day out. Like that truth, not just for me, but for other people. Like, oh, being in a room with other people who have complicated and difficult lives, who are figuring things out, making mistakes, learning, growing. Like, look at that. It's like this for all of us. And the heart was just kind of breaking open a little bit in that moment. It's like we forget in our lives that We're just human beings. We're just animalistic creatures that are doing what animalistic creatures do. And sometimes we forget to notice that. And we think about it as, like, I'm doing this right or I'm doing this wrong. Or if I were doing it right, my life would be more pleasant. And because my life is unpleasant, I must be doing it wrong or something like that. And then we continue to play out this pattern of looking for experiences to remind us or convince us that we're okay, right? So if my relationship is pleasant, then I'm okay. If I have the job that I want or the car that I want, then I'm okay. If I have the resources that I need, then I'm okay. Or whatever it is for us, right? Whatever those next adventure, the next exciting pleasant opportunity. We think this is what our lives are supposed to be, like chasing that next thing will convince us if once we get it that we're okay. But it's like we're taking refuge in all of those things that aren't going to yield the benefits that we're wanting them to. I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with pleasant experience. A pleasant experience has, and comfort has a real place in our lives. And so being able to find that, but also realizing it's limited utility. It's pleasant, and then it's over, right? Like all experiences. And so what is worthy of taking refuge in? Like we learn how to take refuge in all the wrong things. And this is the way our social world works. And so we get that gets reinforced every time you turn on the radio or the television or talk to each other. Or, you know, like, what did you do this week? <laughs> What's exciting and new in your life? Want to know, right? So validate that for each other in lots of ways. Like there needs to be something. Some of you know that I'm participating in this four and a half year training through Insight Meditation Society and it's a group of 20 of us and we get together three times a year and it's such a rich time, like we're immersed in (coughs) Dharma, everything is Dharma, the sessions, we're talking and practicing and then after the sessions we're walking with each other and talking and reflecting about Dharma, it's just really intense and so beautiful and the friendships are a real blessing in my life. I've been back from one of these recent trainings for about a week now and just really feeling the kind of commitment to walking the path in a new way. Like realizing what's worthy of taking refuge in. That there's something, and thankfully there's something, that might bear the fruit that we're hoping for that might bring us lasting happiness. It's countercultural, so we have to realize that too. But taking refuge in practice, and in a simple way, practice just means showing up to learn something. Not using people for our, or using experience for some quick hit but really showing up to see what we can learn about human nature and see if there's some way to relate to human nature in a way that feels really useful, not just to ourselves, but to others. So there's some ways to think about our life, be in our life, relate to our lives in a deeper way. And thankfully this Buddhist path is really about that. And these ways that we can think about our think about um, what's worthy of refuge in, what taking refuge in, we might call that right view. And this is one of the this is the first element of the eightfold path. So the Buddha laid out this, watched his mind to the extent that he could, and to such a detailed, in such a detailed way that he was able to point to all of these really nuanced ways that we experience living, 
and all the ways that we kind of get caught and suffer. And was able to point to attachment, clinging, as the, the reason why we suffer. And then thankfully, was able to offer a path out of suffering. So this is the Noble Eightfold Path. There are many components of it. I am fully convinced that I could spend the rest of my life on any one element of the path and be good for it. Thankfully, they all connect up. The path begins with right view. And I've been exploring this kind of taking idea of taking refuge as one aspect of right view, like that idea that there's something worthy of taking refuge in that I might not notice on a regular basis, I might get confused about. And those moments when I can really touch into practice and lean into what it means to want to be a learner, to want to wake up, to want to not suffer, to want to see the ways that I suffer and the ways that I, when I'm not suffering, to want to see what leads to suffering and what leads out of suffering. (coughs) That's what I mean to be a learner, right? And how how faith really has there's a direct route to right view with faith. Because faith is this confidence that something, that there might be a way. And it often begins with hearing someone articulate the fruits of practice, right? Maybe a teacher. For me, it's been a teacher or mentors, wise elders that have been on the path for a long time and have been able to talk about their life as practice, right? What they're learning from practicing the Dhamma, from learning to be a sensitive human being, from showing up to be a learner, like, oh yeah, I'm suffering now, and now I'm then I wasn't suffering in this moment, and these are the conditions that support suffering, and these are the conditions that support non-suffering. Like listening to that from friends and wise elders, Sometimes it's the beginning, right, of faith, and okay, well, maybe I'll go see for myself. But faith, and so right view begins with often hearing the Dharma articulated that way. And then I sit down, I decide to take up some practice in some way, and I learn something, and I'm like, okay, now this is what the Buddha meant by go see for yourself. So it's kind of shaking out, all right? So when I'm a Shelley who needs to give a good Dharma talk and perform well, there's a lot of pain in the heart. But when there's just an empty, some empty vessel where the Dharma can flow through without attachment to what it sounds like or how it comes out, it's just a pure expression of my own practice, then it's less suffering. Oh, that's interesting, right? It's really interesting. And we can see this play out in our lives in so many ways. My example, but you have your own. And so right view is just that, that invitation to explore the ways we might think about practice, check it out for ourselves, and really look for that intersection of faith that continues to spur us along, right? It's actually the beginning element of the five spiritual faculties, which you don't have to know what that is, but really it's often talked about as the engine that moves us along in practice, the engine. 
So it begins with faith, or if you don't like that word, you can use confidence. If you've been on, if you've been a practitioner, mindfulness for any number of time, any amount of minutes or years, many of you have been at this for quite a while, you can see its value, at least in moments. There might be doubt in other moments, and that's part of the path too. But in some moments, you can see like, oh yeah, this actually is supportive. And it helps me be a healthy human being. It helps me understand and relate in my life with skill. And maybe it helps me be a a less reactive person. So it helps preserve the relationships I care about. It helps me not contribute to some of the problems that we have in the world, many of the problems that are born out of reactive moments or delusion or ignorance. So we can see how practicing helps us step out of delusion even in small moments. Whether you've been here for 30 minutes or a year or five years or 10 years or more. right? And then that, that spurs us to continue doing a little bit more, provide some or make some effort to make some effort to want to wake up like, oh, this works, so now I'm going to apply some effort. I'm going to find the right amount of effort, right? And we mess up all the time in that area. We're over-efforting or over-striving or thinking, that this is a path of passivity, a path of a path of passivity. I meant to say a path of passivity, whereas we're just kind of like rest in our comforts, but it's not that at all. The Buddha was a really active experimenter, radical, and he taught this practice. Right now, we're living in a time where Buddhism is trending, maybe, <laughs> or the practice of mindfulness, we can say, is trending, right? So there's lots of even though it may feel countercultural, there's lots of ways to practice or teachers or experiences. Mindfulness is talked about quite a bit, and you might hear it in the news and such. But at the time of the Buddha, I'm not sure that was true, right? Yet he was really committed and really confident and kept practicing, doing all these weird things because there was some faith there that kept spurring that along, like, oh, this faith that led to wanting to make the next effort. And then kind of seeing, like, oh, this didn't really shake out. This led to suffering. Is there a way to make an effort to understand and make an effort that will lead me out of suffering? Just kept going like that, right? So faith, it begins like this and spurs us to make some effort. And then the mind gets interested. There's some mindfulness. And all of that leads to the next moment of mindfulness. And before you know it, we're living a life, or at least in moments we're living a life, that is invested in learning. There are more moments of mindfulness because we can realize that we care about being awake, make some effort in that direction, then the mind sees where it gets caught, clings, is attached to the way things are, and then you know, naturally says, no, I don't want to keep doing that. I don't want to keep yelling at my partner this way. I want to actually pay attention 
get to know the anger that moves in my heart, be intimate with that so that I have some choice, so that I'm not bound to that reactive habit anymore. And then that leads to the next moment, right? Okay, so I'm going to choose not to cause harm. Like the heart naturally sees that the utility in that. <coughs> and with time, there's just more and more of those moments. So we live a more continuously mindful life. How beautiful is that? And the good news, the really good news, is that when we are invested in being a learner and watching and seeing what leads to suffering and what leads us out of suffering, that there's no choice but for wisdom to develop. There's no choice. That's just the law. This is how it goes. Some faith, some, we might need to hear it from others, right? We might need to see the practice reflected in others who know how to, who are really working at being a human being, alive, active, engaged in the world and in their lives, while also, and also being a committed practitioner of these Buddhist meditation practices, right? We might need to hear that and see that. And then we get to, that might help us be interested in figuring that out on our own, make some efforts, connect, notice the pain that's there, notice what leads to suffering, what leads us out of suffering. That establishes the next, the mind, mindfulness in the next moment. And then eventually wisdom comes along and kind of goes like, oh yeah, sweetie, look at this. Maybe what the Buddha said was really true. This attachment, clinging to the way things are, wanting the world to be different than it is, wanting my life to be different than it is, is really painful. That wanting, right, is what's painful. The life, the life, my life, your life, the world is the way that it is. No matter how much we wish it to be differently, that is not the way that it is. It is like this, right? It is like this. When I was at, with my cohort just not long, not long ago, one of our teachers, Ruth King, who's been here twice now, she wrote a book called Mindful of Race and another book called Healing Rage, a wonderful teacher. And she spent her life really understanding race and racism. She's got this wonderful ability to point to elements of whiteness, supremacy, domination, <coughs> the intricacies of racism, and she's got this great ability to point that out. But it always seems to come from a place of love. I mean, it's probably not always coming, because we're human beings after all, right? And she's a human being just like we are. But you can easily feel the force of love that allows her to want to take action like that, that allows her to want to be engaged or share and help others wake up. So it's so wonderful to see that, to hear that, to feel like, oh yeah, and it, it really evokes some sense of my own, sense of faith in my heart, like, oh, this practice can be useful in all areas of life. And look at how wonderful this is. Like, it's beautiful that this person can sit in all her equanimity and offer this freely. Such a beautiful thing. And at the training, at the end, the teachers, the students, those of us who are in the training, were asking questions of the teachers, and they were all there, present. And Ruth 
was the first to answer this particular question. Somebody asked something like, what, what, makes, what makes you feel a sense of spiritual urgency in your life? And I was like, on the edge of my seat, what is she going to say? And she just took a long pause and she said, nothing. She said, nothing does. And I was like, oh, tell me more. How can that be? Right? But what she said was something about just being really invested in, uh, she talked about being a faith type and having some faith in her contribution to humanity. Right? So it wasn't this, so what she was pointing us in the, I think, in the direction of steady perseverance instead of vigilance or reactive reactivity that spurs our engagement. So the steady persever- perseverance without, without um, expectation that the effort will lead to a, a result. Which kind of brings me all the way back to how I started this talk, just showing up to be a learner and to really walk this path of understanding this sensitive heart, what it means to have a sensitive heart, without expectation for how it will, how my life will work out, or the problems that it will, that will be solved by this practice but to be really curious, interested, and surprised at the fruits. It's like the, I, Mark, um, Mark sometimes uses the phrase wholehearted engagement without attachment. It's like that's what I'm aiming for. That's what Ruth's comments kind of in, inspired in my heart. How can I be wholeheartedly engaged in my life as a student and in the world as a student and contributor without attachment? Because it's the right thing to do. It, it yields benefits. Getting in touch with the sensitive heart really has some benefits, and I can feel that. I can feel that in simple moments, right? It's like that moment of, kind of getting tight around, oh, I have to give a Dharma talk, hope I say the right thing, I wonder if it's going to come out coherent or whatever the rules are in my head at the time. <laughs> and then when the mind goes like, oh, that's selfing, interesting. That's, Shelley was just born in that moment. But actually these thoughts, this experience is just a force of nature ah, there's a little bit of freedom, like the heart let go. There's not enough, there's not suffering in that moment. It's so beautiful. That there didn't need to be a Shelley that had to solve this problem. But Shelley, but, you know, the, the force of faith and effort, interest, could just move me along, get connect, be with, utilize, this heart can utilize the wisdom that's there to see something, right? And just keep moving wholeheartedly because it feels useful. And we can see our efforts in the world and engaged practice in similar ways.
for listening. We have some time for time for questions or comments, reflections, objections. It's all welcome. Thank you, Shelley. I um, have been struggling with uh, trying to resolve uh, something in my life. And no matter what I did in my practice, it wasn't working. I was sending loving kindness. I was doing all kinds of things because I was aware that I was making myself suffer with this and that it was uh, not an answer for me. So a regular part of my life is in the evening I take a half hour or whatever it is and I do some reading from books on my nightstand, often which is Lion's Roar. Last night I picked up the new one and uh, there's a Pico Ayer wrote about the Dalai Lama, several pages about the Dalai Lama and one paragraph in there talked about the Dalai Lama's um, joyful relationship with Desmond Tutu and their commitment to there not being any particular outcome, and bingo, there it was. Mm -hmm. It isn't that I didn't. It isn't that I didn't know that, yeah. but because my practice takes me to people that are wiser than me, or people that I consider consider mentors, even if I haven't met them, there it was. And I went back today before I came here and I went through the article to find that paragraph. There it was. And uh, my heart is free in this moment. And I will go back. Uh, we go in and out of this, but I know because <coughs> going to these kind of teachings on a regular basis in my life is the faith. And faith comes from experience. And my experience tells me that I don't need to know it all, but doggone it, somebody does. <laughs> they, <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Shelley. It was really, really great. Um, so yesterday I was at a 12-step meeting, and a woman said something that really resonated with what you were saying right at the beginning about instead of trying to be this perfect orator, you know, just like letting the dharma flow through you. Um, I think that's connected anyway. Uh, so she was talking and she said, um, it was. she was talking about something she's trying to work through. And she says, you know, I always try to be my best self instead of being myself. And I went, wow. <laughs> I mean, you could, to me it was, exactly what you were saying but also as a as a, a performer and as friends and so on i often try to go okay so how can i bring my best self to this situation and now i'm just going to ask i'm not going to ask anything right i'm just going to okay i'm here and pay attention to what's going on and needs to just let what flow flows you know from the heart that's hopefully loving and open and uh so I, I said afterwards, wow, that really just changes everything. Um, because it's so common, to, you know, to be that thing about being your best self is everywhere. And I, and I guess in some ways, if you connect it to yourself, really, 
that's okay. But I always had this image of somebody else who was this best self, and then I was going to be that. And wow, the amount of stress and pain and <laughs> work. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to share that and say thank you. Thank you. Yeah, what if we're all in process of being our best selves, and that's as good as it gets. And as part of that process, it also involves being intimate with, feeling into, and learning to love our worst self. Yeah, thanks, Shelley, for this talk. It's really pertinent in my life, and I'm sure everybody else's. Um, and I'm just wondering how to get more to the sensitive heart. Um, so I do a walking meditation or sitting, but I usually do walking meditation and do the breathing, and I'm getting in touch with my breathing, and I become aware of my body and awareness. and And then... I'm saying I'm taking refuge in this. And I'm wondering around, and then I'm trying to, I'm missing, I think, a little bit how the heart is. I'm usually, I guess most of the time, I'm not, I, I guess I'm just not sensitive picking that up. I'm, I can just probably say, you know, it, it, feels, it feels tight. I'm not sure if it's ever... Feeling free, but I guess I'm guess I'm wondering where that crossover is point is where where do you get to a point of um, awareness, awakening, and then into the heart? Is, is it just a question? Oh, how is the heart? And yeah, just in your explanation or your description, you said the heart feels tight, so that is an expression of the sensitive heart that can feel that tightness, right? So that wanting to, you know, there's just can be this, I've noticed it in my own practice, like wanting more, right? Having this expectation for more sensitivity or more tenderness or wanting something from my practice. Instead, the right view would be to think about practice like this is it. So this tightness is what I'm being asked to be with. Or this disconnection is what I'm asked to be with and it feels like this or whatever that is, this uh, aversion, restlessness, sleepiness. Uh, I want the sensitive heart, but all I get is this sleepiness or this restlessness or this uh, whatever it is, right? But that's it. That's what we're asked to be with. Like, oh, how can I, is it possible to open to this? Just getting close, meeting that. And with each of those moments, those, you know, it's just having that faith that each of those moments will bear its own fruit in its own time. We don't get to say, right? We don't get to say when that's going to be. And I could tell you like a ton of stories about being surprised at something in my life and really understanding at a deep level this is the result of practice. I didn't actually see it happening, but this is the result of practice. Just a quick uh, add-on to that thought. I was listening. I listened to Alice quite a bit. And she has a song that just simply says, how can I love even this? 
this argument, this pain, this whatever. And I just love that phrase because it just says it all for me, mm. you know, because we all have it. It's all universal. And my tendency is to own it like I'm alone in it. But mm. so, yeah. Thank you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.